Brandon Brands. Hey, this is Mitch Duckler, author of The Indispensable Brand and managing partner of Full Surge, a brand and marketing strategy consultancy. And if you want to build a brand that really matters, that is indispensable to the customers that you serve, I would highly recommend you listening to Brands on Brands on Brands with my good friend, Brandon Burkmeyer. In a world where advertising is ignored, business is exposed, and the only constant is change, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands, a home for those who think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here's your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey, 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 what's up, everyone? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands. I'm Brandon Berkmeyer, your personal marketing coach, and I believe that building a brand that matters is the only way for a business to thrive tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in each week as we bring to you thought leaders in marketing every Monday, getting you those tips, those tricks, all those ideas you need to move your business forward, take it to the next level. And on Thursdays, if you haven't checked it out, we have deeper dives on topics of interest, ideas to get your business moving. It's just one-on-one, you, me, and the mic going through those strategies. If you are new to the show, I would love to get you to visit our website so you can get to know more about me and connect. Go to brandandbrands.com where you will find more content, more blogs, more email posts, more everything, but also my resources, my freebies. And guess what? A button that'll let you connect with me directly, send me messages, say, hey, via direct messenger on Facebook. Click that button that says, hey, and I get, we can actually have a conversation. We can talk, can come out of the mystery ether that is the internet and actually have a conversation. So I love connecting with you guys. I appreciate you for listening, but let's jump into the show for today. More brands on brands on brands on brands because we're talking about branding and this is one of my favorite topics. So really digging out there, like what are the books? Who are the people talking about this topic? And finding the latest authors and latest ideas on this is, is part of the process for me. It's part of the job. So excited to bring to you someone who just wrote a book on branding called The Indispensable Brand. He wrote it in 2019. I think this episode will be coming out in 2020. So it'll be just under 12 months old, but still the concepts are brand new. And it's the kind of book that makes you think, oh, is, should I be doing this differently? And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. Our guest today, Mitch Duckler, is a former classically trained CPG executive worked on Unilever and Coca-Cola, you know, a fellow Coca-Cola guy like I was. But after 25 years of line management and strategy consulting experience, he's still doing it, leading complex engagements, overseeing client relationships. His area of expertise is brand strategy, customer insights, innovation, and the book guides readers on how to build a brand strategy that rises above the noise and monotony in their industry, transforming them from indistinguishable to indispensable. And you hear me, hear me talking about some of that today really getting to, well, how do you do that? What are the steps you take? Uh, Mitch has been around the industry talking, helping, guiding people. He writes articles on branding and marketing strategy, been in periodicals such as Brand Week, Marketing News, and Marketing Management. He's guest lectured for Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management and Metal Integrated Marketing Communications. And it's one of those guys that you want to listen to and learn from as is demonstrated in the conversation today. Here's some of the things we talked about. 
we talked about why is it so difficult to be indispensable? What's been changing in our environment to make this happen? What's some of the premise around the book? Like why, why is this idea of brands all being the same and needing to be differentiated? Why is this happening now? Why is this something that's become heightened based on what's happening in the environment out there? And we also talk about some of the mistakes that people make when executing without a strategy. What are some of the things you can do to avoid those mistakes and to really figure out your positioning for your brand? How do you look at a brand from a more diverse way? What, you know, instead of the one way we've always been looking at it, what are multiple ways in to think about how to differentiate yourself and position yourself in the market to succeed? Lots of content out there. That's why you hear me going through this so quickly with so much fervor. Uh, it's because I want to convey to you what the excitement that I have. So without any further ado, let's jump into the conversation we have here with Mitch Duckler. Check it out. By the way, by the way, before they start the episode, if you want to get any more information, you can always go to his website at fullsurge.com. He also offers a free copy of his book. So listen to check that out. And in the show notes, we'll give you his email. So you can email him, hit him up to get a hard copy. Yeah, that's the offer. All right. Lots of value, obviously, guys, for you today. Without further ado, let me let you jump into it. Check it out. Brandon Brands. All right. Let's get started. I'm excited to bring to you guys today our guest. He has over 25 years of line management and strategy consulting experience. He's a noted industry expert on branding, one of my favorite topics, of course. He's a managing partner at a consulting firm called Full Surge. So many things. He's written articles for industry periodicals like Brand Week, Marketing News. He's the author of the book, The Indispensable Brand, Move from Invisible to Invaluable, which is why he's here today. I'm pleased to welcome Mitch Duckler. Mitch, thank you for being here with me today. Thanks, Brandon. It's great to be here. And the reason I'm excited about this is we get to talk about branding. Uh, with a lot of guests, I get very tactical. We get specific channels that we dive into, steps people they can take to do something with one little program or another program. But what we get to discuss is branding, which is, to me, more big picture, more strategic, and can be important for so many business owners to have this view that maybe they haven't thought of. And that's why I'm excited today. Are you ready to go? Yeah, I think it's a great backdrop. And, and uh, I, I applaud you for approaching that topic because I think it's equally applicable to big companies, small companies, entrepreneurs, startups. Uh, I think everybody should be concerned with branding. So I'm glad that you're facing the topic and, and taking it head on. Yeah, it's, that's what I'm preaching here. So before we get into the backstory, because I do want to know more about you, but before we get into that, I'd like to save that a little bit for later. Some of the topics you've written about in your books, we'll talk about that too, but I'd love to set the stage here around the topic of branding. So to you, maybe you can help us out. Like, What's the value? What is the value of branding and what that brings to the table? Well, I often talk about a company's brands as among their most valuable assets uh, to, to almost any company, short of being a holding company, or maybe if you're in purely commodity categories, your brands are some of the most important assets that any company has. So you need to pay attention to them. You need to invest in them. You need to build them into, just like you would invest in any strong, any asset, you need to invest in them to make sure that they're continually working hard for you and establishing an advantage for you. Yeah, it's this extra tool in your tool bag. And if you're not using it, like you're, you're missing a huge piece of the pie here. Agree. And you set up the premise of this book around that idea and you express it in this, this concept of brand monotony. Why do all brands end up sounding the same, looking the same? What happened? How did we get here? What is this idea of brand monotony? Right. 
So in the book, I talk about a lot of different factors. I, I don't think it's just one thing that has led to it. There has been what I would say a proliferation of choice, more choices than ever before, right? So just na naturally making most spaces more crowded. Information, there is an abundance of information out there that confuses consumers and customers alike. Information is more attainable than ever before, so it's harder to establish a competitive advantage through just access to information. Distribution channels have changed. Digital activation, I think, has been a contributor as well. And specifically, marketers, I think, are just very confused uh, still in, in the digital space and, and you're trying to master the ins and outs of a new platform seemingly every day or week. And they, as a result, all of these things are very overwhelming and, and inundating to most marketers, and they resort to copycat tactics and me-too strategies and so-called best practices. And as I say in the book, when everybody's tweeting at the same time of day or using the exact same subject lines in a email campaign, because that's what the best practice is, what else could happen but monotony? Right. And I mean, you, yeah, I guess we start paying too much attention to the people that are, that are around us. Absolutely. Because we have all the information now. Is it even possible anymore to stand out and be different when you have all the, the access and everyone's got the same tools? Like, is it possible to stand out and be different? I, I believe it is. And I think it does start with identifying your primary point of difference. And one of the things that I do talk about in the book is to think about differentiation more broadly than perhaps we've learned uh, in the past. So when you think about some of the seminal writing on brand positioning, for example, it goes back to you know the, the days of recent trout, right? And, and that the primary point of difference is always a customer benefit. And what I would argue is that in some cases it may be, but in other cases it may not. You know, in a lot of categories, the key competitors are all competing for what I would call a universal benefit, right? So for example, I used to work in the hair care category when I was at Unilever, and there was largely one primary benefit, beautiful hair. You almost inherently couldn't differentiate based on that end benefit, which is what a recent trout strategy would tell you to do. So I, in the book, talk a lot about how do you think about different ways of establishing uniqueness and differentiation, right? You can talk about your point of difference being a methodology or an, an ingredient or an approach, right? Something unique about your experience. So it's not what you do, but how you deliver it. It could be about a, a why, a purpose, right? So we've heard a lot about purpose branding, um, especially in the, in, um, from Simon Sinek and the like. And a lot of brands today, very strong brands, are, are differentiated based on their purpose or their why or a who, right? A persona or perhaps a founder, like a Richard Branson for Virgin, for example. Those are all ways that aren't necessarily end benefits in the classical sense, but they are ways that brands can identify a unique point of difference and then, very importantly, reflect it through all of their activation. Yeah, I like that because I think what we typically hear is maybe just one of these approaches. We hear, you know, I've heard a lot of the craft a better story, but the way that they, you know, we say is just don't talk about features, talk about the benefit and the transformation. You're saying there's multiple ways in, that there's not just that, that benefit, there's other ways to look at this. Exactly. And, and uh, yes. And what I would also echo, though, is, is every brand. So if you talk about those four things, a what, a how, a why, or a who, every brand in their positioning has all four of those, right? So I'm not saying that you just have one. What I am saying is that of those four, at least one has to be unique. It has to represent a clear point of difference from everybody else in the category. It's not that you don't have the other three. It's not that you don't provide a benefit. It's not that you don't have a persona or a target, but it may or may not be what is unique about you. 
Yeah, I like that. I think figuring out what that that one thing that you want to accentuate is going to be is important, right? And, and say you figure that out, right? You have, you okay, we've, we've isolated. This might be the, the better brand promise that we're leaning into. Why is the storytelling of that so important? Well, I think it's very important for the, for some of the reasons we talked about before, and that is, again, consumers are and customers in the B2B space are increasingly inundated and with messaging. Decision-making is getting more and more complex. Very often, customers are shutting down just its information overload or abundance of choice. And what that means is that we as marketers need to be much, much crisper and much more consistent than ever before. I mean, it's always been important, but it's probably more important now than ever to be very consistent, very specific, very concise in our communication and making sure that point of difference is consistently reflected. As we know, repetition is so critical in marketing along with consistency. And and the more you're able to craft that story, which is, again, is based on the unique point of difference, and then communicate it and convey it consistently, the more likely you are to break through that clutter, that monotony. Got it. Yeah. And, you know, I like that in the book you called out that, you know, there is a lot going on that makes it difficult to be indispensable. And, you know, it's easy to blame external factors for, for bad branding. But that's the environment we're living in right now at this point, right? So at the end of the day, we still have choices to make. So how do we make better choices? It seems, is it too hard to do in like a large organization? Like how do you make better choices? And is it, is it possible to make better choices? Yeah, I think it is. And, and um, in the book, we talk a lot about, again, those factors. And I, I just rattled off some of them earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Around, you know, information, access to information and to changes in the distribution landscape and proliferation of choice and whatnot. But I, I, do, I do also point out the last and perhaps the most important one is marketers themselves. And it really, even with all those other factors potentially working against differentiation, it really is incumbent upon us as marketers to be more disciplined than ever. So starting with the, the point of difference again, so understanding the market, understanding consumer wants and needs, understanding the competitive landscape and identifying that point of difference is, is the first piece. But then looking at every aspect, again, not just story, which we mentioned earlier, but what about experience, right? Think about the customer journey and all the touch points that comprise the customer journey and making sure that your brand point of difference, that promise represented by your point of difference is reflected throughout the journey in every critical touch point. I often joke with, with clients, you know, they talk about what is the ideal customer experience and there is, not, there is no such thing as the ideal experience. It should be the experience that is true to the brand positioning. You know, brands should, by definition, have different experiences, at least in some subtle way. They should be different from one another and they should be different based on what that brand's point of difference is. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. What I'm, what I'm thinking is, you know, I'd like to keep, like, take it to like a real piece here, right? So I worked at some agencies with a lot of different brands and, and you consult with brands all the time. Yep. And I feel like there's a lot of smart people that make good decisions that seem to make sense for the brand. And they, you know, recognize themselves as, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be an innovator in this space. And, you know, they see what, you know, they want to do, but they don't know. It's like, but it doesn't always happen. The execution doesn't happen or there's a lot of red tape in politics that, you know, you can't take too many big risks. I don't know if this is just a big brand thing. But it's hard to, even if you know the answer, to make changes yeah. in organization. How do you help people with, with that? One of the ways is through what I refer to in the book as employee brand engagement. So I think in the old days, right, of w- when branding was probably much, I don't want to say easier, but simpler and more straightforward, right. 
you could argue that, you know, the only people that really had to truly understand brands were, you know, people in marketing, obviously, in, in the advertising agencies, and then, you know, front, maybe frontline facing, customer facing individuals as well, as well. And that was about it. But now we live in an environment where your brand is just front and center everywhere, right? And think about content marketing and social media, that just the digital ecosystem in general, more and more employees are interacting with customers and representing that brand for better or worse, uh, whether they realize it or not. So I think employee engagement, you know, and helping people, helping all employees across multiple functions, you know, whether they're customer facing directly or not, to understand the brands that they're that they're working with and how they need to be portrayed and communicated, what that primary point of difference is and that benefit is and so forth, so that they're talking and representing that brand in a very consistent manner through all their interactions. Gotcha. You know, and I think some of the mistakes that you mentioned are things about like executing. So like execute, like just doing things without actually having a strategy or an approach to them imitating competition, reacting to consumers, some of the things that I think you can run into. So mm-hmm. how do you influence your identity instead of falling into these traps like that are pretty common? How do you actually influence the identity of your brand? Well, I think that, I, I think the key, the operative word is the word you use. It is influence, right? Because I think in the old days, it was more command and control. It was more unidirectional, if you will. And now it, it is influence. So you're having to kind of lead through example. Right. And, and more and more, what we're trying to do is just helping customers and consumers understand your brand at, at a deeper level. Being much more customer intimate, I think, is, is critical. Realizing that customers are turning to each other for information and insights into brands, you know, in addition to you as a marketer, right? They trust each other, they trust their friends, they trust, in some cases, online reviews from complete strangers more than they might trust us and what we're saying in our marketing material. So, you know, as such, I think we need to, especially in the digital um, environment, be, you know, much more customer centric and much more customer sensitive, really, in helping them understand, you know, what what we as a brand stand for, why they should choose our brand over competitive alternatives and so forth. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm curious as to where this idea came from. Like, so you've been working in this in a long time and you're like, obviously, you're running into different experiences each day, but where did the idea to come from? Like, I want to write about this. I want to, like, catalog this and figure out a new framework. Uh, what inspired this? You know, what inspired it is a lot of, a lot of the research that is, is referenced in the upfront part of the book. Um, and that is this, the duality of differentiation has been on the decline. Um, and there's been a lot of longitudinal research that I referenced in the book that has shown that um, brands, even, uh, even leading brands within any given category, tend to be less distinguishable from other competitive alternatives than ever before. And then very importantly, right, because you could say, well, so what? Does that matter? And, and the, the answer to that is, yes, it does matter because a lot of other research shows that there's a very direct correlation between the extent to which a brand is perceived as different and a lot of other performance-related metrics, such as willingness to pay more, even market capitalization, operating margin, profitability, all of those, a lot of those business and financial metrics there's a very direct correlation, even if it's difficult at times to you know, talk about causation, there is definitely a very high correlation between the extent to which brands are different and those you know, very highly sought after performance metrics. So it naturally got me thinking, well, do we need to get back to some of the basics? And, and I think one of the cornerstones of brand management is differentiation. 
why would you pay for a premium price, which is what you do for a quality brand over a commodity? And it's, it's something about the brand that makes it different and better and special. So that really was a, what a lot of was behind the book. And that went into just writing. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, well, like but writing books are, I mean, it's, it's an endeavor, right? I mean, this, you're, you're taking on something that's not super rewarding at the end. Like at the end yeah. of the day. It's a lot of work. So A, like why you, like, why is this something that you were like, you felt called to do? And what did you feel like wasn't out there already that you had to solve? I think that there was a, a couple of things. Um, the, the first is, and it really kind of goes back to the two premises we talked about earlier. The, the first is that I was working with a lot of clients that, that looked at differentiation, I believe, look at differentiation too narrowly, right? Just as we talked about before, they said, well, here's the recent trout method. And they said, your primary point of difference is your benefit, right? And, and it was getting into very maddening conversations around, <laughs> okay, but the benefit's kind of universal. It's a category benefit, right? Almost by definition, you can't own that, right? Yes, but this is what the recent trout model said. So it, it was a little bit of a frustration over that and just like, hey, you know, differentiation is important and maybe we need to think about it differently, more expansively. And I, I think that was part of it. The other thing that I noticed is that I was working with a lot of, so that was on the defining differentiation or identifying point of difference. But then when it came to brand development or brand activation, what I was noticing is marketers who I thought were otherwise, you know, very strategic and very savvy and sophisticated in their marketing were, were starting to fall down and resort to more, again, more copycat more me too strategies, um, especially in digital. And it kind of, it, it, it made me pause and wonder why. why. Why is brand so secondary? Why is brand an afterthought, especially in digital activation, where when you get into advertising, for example, everybody thinks about brand and brand positioning and is this ad, is this copy, is this spot on brand or not? But all of a sudden, when we get into digital, it, that the conversation flips, right? And it's all about, you know, very short-term, you know, business transact, transaction type metrics, right? Am I acquiring another follower? Am I increasing engagement? Am I getting another click? Am I getting a share or a like? And, and, and brand sometimes goes out the window. And yet it's still, again, these same very sophisticated marketers that are kind of losing sight when we get into that channel. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I wonder if, you know, like besides the top, you know, X number of brands that like lead the way because they're just such powerhouses that when someone challenges them, they can just buy them or, you know, like they see an innovator in this space that they innovate by acquisition. Right. I don't, you know, not everyone has gotten to that point where they can innovate through acquisition or they've been around long enough that there's just, there's only so many people in this space. I think there's a lot of companies in the middle and what we've seen, we've seen a lot of companies that had great brands bust. The business busted. The brand was you know, I don't know, fine, maybe. You know, a lot of companies out there that, that went out of business, like you know, the Blockbusters, the Toys R Uses, and things like that. Maybe it's because they're retail, but at the end of the day, is the brand enough? And, you know, is, it, is there something in the middle where we just don't have enough mobility to change our companies and we're getting taken over by the Airbnbs and the, the Ubers of the world because they just are more nimble? So I'm curious about your, what you think about this idea of nimbleness and how it relates to building a better business, building a better brand. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think that the two um, are separate. Uh, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but I don't want to sit here and be a purist and tell you that the, <laughs> the success and, and the only factor of success is have a great brand. Obviously, right. there's a lot more that goes into uh, business success beyond just great branding, right? And, 
so you you can have a great brand and yet because of other reasons your execution your business model your operations your 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 financial structure whatever there there's something else that a, a supply chain a, any number of business factors can kind of be your your doom right or your your downfall so i'm not trying to say that hey just come up with a great brand and everything else takes care of itself that's obviously very myopic and and narrow <laughs> thinking but I, I do think it is one. I do think it is a very important piece of the puzzle. And um, you, know, you could argue, for example, you know, Blockbuster to, or Kmart or whatever at, at, at different points in time may have had very strong brands. They were eroded for you know different you know because of channel dynamics and business model f- factors. So you, know, you have to kind of look at it holistically and realize that brand is is an important component, but it's not it's not everything. Yeah, no, I th- I appreciate that. And the other thing is, though, to the extent that brand is is important, though, is is things can change. So brands can lose relevance over time, right? As the competitive landscape changes, you know, new entrants come in that perhaps take away points of difference. Consumer wants and needs change. You know, your brand does need to be somewhat nimble, uh, to use the phrase you, you brought up earlier, and, and and adapt with it. You know, not lose what is truly you know unique to its DNA altogether. But, you know, refresh itself and make sure that it's retaining its relevance as competitive market and consumer dynamics change. I think that's huge. I think what you point out, which is there are recognized brands, but relevance can change over time. We might recognize logos, but are they relevant to us anymore? Maybe not. And because you maybe haven't taken these, some of these extra steps. So let's talk about that. So, because I think the the concept that you propose, which is, you know, something that's like indistinguishable to becoming indispensable mm-hmm. is a, is a perception thing. It's a, like, do you recognize them in their difference versus a competition versus them being something you need? Let's talk about that. And if you feel like you're in the beginning part of this, you're like, we're starting to feel like we are one of many. How do you start steering that ship towards becoming something people really need and being indispensable as you frame it? I, again, I think it's a lot of what we were talking about. It's it's really you know being very customer centric, understanding what you know wh- where there is an opportunity to be a brand, a brand for which your customers cannot live without, right? And it's I, I in fact I was asked about this um, not too long ago in an interview, and I said you know what I I would almost argue that being indispensable is actually unattainable. I think it's a great goal, it's a great aspiration. I think it's more is something more philosophical or symbolic than it is realistic. So, I mean, think about it. Think about your favorite brand. Could you really not live without it? Right. <laughs> Maybe if it's a pacemaker, I don't, I don't know. Maybe not. But I mean, most brands, as much as you know, a customer may you know, be very, very disappointed or sorry that, it, that it's no longer available, they probably could go on and live. But the point is that you, you wouldn't want to, right? It would be a huge gap, a huge hole or void in your life if you no longer had it. And I, I use the example of, of Starbucks for me. I know it's a it's an often used example, but it is it is in, in the marketing world, but it is an example of a brand that I would would really, really sorely miss. Right. I probably go there every day, sometimes twice a day. I go there for multiple reasons. It's important to me. Yes, I like the coffee. I also like the service and the experience, the ambiance, the routine, everything that kind of goes along with it, the fact that the, even the ubiquity, right? The fact that it is accessible pretty much anywhere at any time, all those things are really critical. If it were to go away, I'd be very, very disappointed. It's become somewhat indispensable to me. I mean, could I live without it? Yes, but I would still consider it an indispensable brand. 
Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I, what's funny is I think there's some underestimation of what role distribution plays into branding and, and just accessibility. Like when, yeah. when, you, when you work on Coca-Cola for a period of time, you realize that their brand advantage is that they're literally everywhere and they have this crazy distribution model, which benefits them. That, you know, when you can be on every shelf, you get the attention and, and that supports your brand. It's, you know, there's pieces of these things that are interwoven together for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, what I think, what I think about is what's, what is it that there's, that's new in this exploration? So if we are trying to build something that people care about and we've acknowledged it, most people wouldn't care if a brand disappeared. Actually, I was interviewing a buddy, Mark Schaefer, who wrote Marketing Rebellion. And he, he calls out that I think it's something like in the high seventies, uh, people wouldn't care if the, you know, if they if certain brands disappeared or 70 something percent of brands, if they disappeared tomorrow, people would not care. Exactly. And then it becomes like, what, what makes people care? Like what, what makes people actually care about a brand? Have we tapped into like what these things are that make people care or not care and be loyal? Yeah. I, I think it goes back to. It's really the four points that I mentioned before that can be the basis for differentiation. And, and as I said, arguably only one or at best one of them can be a true point of difference, but you really do need all four, I think, to be relevant and indispensable in a customer's life. So you need to have a benefit that is truly valued by customers, right? So you're, you either need to present an opportunity or solve a problem, whatever the case may be, you know, fill a need that customers have that is deeply important to them. So that's the what again, do it in a way that is meaningful and, and relevant to them and unique to you, right? So that's a little bit about the how, right? It's there's something special about the way you deliver that benefit that separates you from the pack. I'd say increasingly in the last 10 to 15 years, the, the why or the purpose is, has really, especially among millennials, that has become more important than ever. And we see that in a lot of categories, a lot of leading brands like a Patagonia, for example. Even Warby Parker, you know, their purpose is so fundamental to their brand that, you know, customers are buying them, not that their products and services aren't good, but they're, they're almost secondary, right? They have bought into a purpose and can relate so uniquely to it that they remain loyal to that brand and that brand becomes indispensable in that, in that respect. Not because it's necessarily the what or the how, but because of the why, what they stand for in, in the world. Right. Well, and you have a whole chapter on, on brand experience. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to ask what the opportunity is to connect that brand positioning that's so important uh, that's going to make you stand out. How do you connect that with your brand experience so that they work together? Yeah, in that chapter, I talk about brand touch points and, and I talk about them as touch points that are so unique and distinguishable to that brand that they essentially separate the brand from any other alternative in, in, in the category. And the only way you can really do that is to look at every touch point throughout the experience and think about it just even in terms of the traditional funnel from when you first become aware of a brand to consider purchasing it to actual purchase and using it. And then afterwards, in terms of loyalty and advocacy, what are those critical touch points in each of those phases? And how can you deliver each not in terms of what is standard, not in terms of what other competitors may be doing or what research says that a generic brand should do because that's what customers want, but in a way that is consistent to your point of difference. It's like putting a brand lens through every touch point or at least all the critical touch points that comprise the customer journey. Right. Well, can we paint a picture that, that for the 
people out there that are like a touch point. What does that mean? Yeah. We paint a picture of like the the day in the life of what this, like, how do you effectively connect with someone throughout their day and in framing this argument that you're making? Right. So we can even be more tangible. You know, we've done work um, in the, in the lodging of the hotel category. So there we would talk about, you know, awareness or, or, um, you know, pre-visit. So you are hearing about a hotel through advertising. You are hearing about it through word of mouth. You are hearing about it even through like signage. For example, if you see billboard or signs on, uh, off of a highway or an interstate, you are seeing, you're perhaps, you know, finding it when you are online. It is, it is coming up as a banner ad or in a Google search or what have you. These are all, you know, pre-usage, if you will. And, and those are all examples. Each one of those that I just gave is an example of a touch point that happens before you ever encounter the brand itself. So they're, they're, they're pre-touch points, if you will. Then there's a whole other set of touch points. Again, just taking this example one step further in, in hotel, you, you arrive at a hotel at, you know, the, the, the person checking you in at the front desk is, is, is a touch point. The workout facility, the gym, the bar, the room service, the, these are all touch points that are kind of during purchase or during usage, during engagement, right? And then afterwards, how are they? How is that that hotel following up with you? Uh, do they have a loyalty program? Do they email you uh, 24 hours later to ask you to rate their service or to offer you a promotion to come back and, and stay again at a discounted rate? Those are all touch again touch points, but they're happening after the experience. So it's really important to kind of think about it holistically, right, from beginning to end and, and ongoing. You know, what, what sort of experience do customers want and expect from your brand based on what makes it different? Yeah, I like that. I mean, there's definitely going to be things that like before you're exposed and you're trying to figure out what's going to be even in the realm of consideration for me, how am I interacting with them? Are they showing up with reasons for me to take a deeper dive, whatever that thing is, whether yeah. they're just seeing me, even just being present is a signal, right? You're like, well, I was looking up a place to go for coffee. And if you lived in a world where you didn't know that Starbucks existed, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, or the exposure on ads or whatever it is, oh, the new nutmeg thing is is out this month. That's your exposure at the beginning because they're bringing you something seasonal. Like I like that. That yeah, and, and again, keeping in mind that you want to be true to the brand, the experience should fit the brand promise. So, for example, and in this hotel uh, segment that I was just. Uh, generically talking to, I guess, you know, we worked with one uh, company that has a select service brand, right? So they're not a full service. They're not um, a five-star luxury type hotel. And um, they have a promise that is much more grounded, if you will. So we help them take a look at what that experience should look like, given the category that they're in and given what their brand promises. And as you might imagine, it's it's far less than what you would experience at a Ritz-Carlton or a Four Seasons, right? That that might be ideal, right? But it's not consistent with that brand. And that's just one example of thinking about the experience through the lens of the, the, the touch point of that experience, rather, through the lens of that point of difference in that brand positioning. Yeah, exactly. What it makes me think about is I'm thinking about the people that are attending these, you know, these uh, attending, but going to the, these restaurants and hotels. Yep. A lot of the attention today in the marketing world is on content and is on community. Those are the words that I hear all the time. How, do, how does branding play a role or how do they interconnect with these? How do you leverage content and community to build brand? Or how do you leverage your brand to inform your content and community? Have you thought about these things or are these things that you guys that are com- you're coming across in your consulting when you're working with clients? I'm sure that's a question you're getting asked all the time. 
Yeah, and and the answer is is really not that different from all the other um, aspects we've talked about, and that is so. For example, like take content, right? Yes, you should be delivering content that your customers or your target customers value clearly w- without question. However, you should also be leaning into the type of content that is the most consistent with your brand and with your brand's point of difference. So if your brand is all about personalization or customization, your content should reflect that as well, right? And, and reinforce aspects of the point of difference of your brand so that you're both delivering value you right and increasing your relevance to that customer, but you're also doing so in a manner that is consistent with what makes you unique, you know, as opposed to somebody else that might come at content from a different angle that is more consistent with their point of difference. Got it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think, you know, for the smaller businesses out there who are just trying to figure out how to keep up with creating content, and I think that they focus too much on the creation and execution without, to your point from like I think earlier, which is having a plan. That informs right. us in a strategy that informs us. It's not just get things out. It's it's what's the strategy that informs that and what's the positioning and, and all that. Exactly. And it's not an either or, it's an and. Right. So you 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 can't just, the last thing I would recommend is you just pump out content about you, right? Because right. It's, it still has to be relevant. It still has to be newsworthy. It still has to be of value to your customers. But ideally, it's also a very close hand glove fit with your brand positioning. Yeah, I love that. Before we go any further, you know, I'd love to make sure that the audience that's diving into this wants to know more about branding or has a sure. big company and they're like, I'd love to work with someone that just knows what they're talking about. How do they get a hold of you? How do they connect with you? So my firm's name is Full Surge. That's F-U-L-L-S-U-R-G-E. So we can be found at fullsurge.com. And on there, there is a, um, a section on, on the website for the book. And you can either download... You can actually download the book or order the book through Amazon or download two chapters for free. And also, as I told you, Brandon, we'd be happy to anybody who wants the book, an electronic version of the book, or for me to send them a hard copy, they can reach out to me at my, I don't know if you want me to give you my email address, if you'll put them in the show notes, but they can reach out to me directly. It would be mduckler, that's M-D-U-C-K-L-E-R, at full surge, F-U-L-L-S-U-R-G-E.com. Just tell me that you listen to the show and you would like either an electronic or a paperback copy. And I'd be happy to send you one if you provide your uh, address. Look at that. Even he even threw in the paperback version, guys. Yes. I'm even putting in the paperback. Let's, just, let's not put him out of business. If you guys are happy with the digital copy, let's, let's go ahead and request that. All right. We'll put the email in the show notes as well. I appreciate that. Perfect. Or, and make sure to go to fullsurge.com and, and check out more from Mitch here. Uh, Mitch, I, with a couple of parting questions for you. Before we go, I'd love to know a little bit more about from your personal brand experience. We talked about Starbucks and maybe it's that, maybe it's something else, but what brands are you obsessed with right now? Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. There's a, there's a brand that I am, have become uh, incredibly obsessed with and it has hit, it has gone uh, viral in a bad way in the last few weeks. Is it Peloton? It's Peloton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It's and it, it's become an indispensable brand. So I, I am a self-professed um, yeah. workout holic, and they, I used they to hate. Have, they could have a great product and a bad marketing plan. I, that makes that's <laughs> okay. The product is still great. It, it is, and it's a brand that has become indispensable. And I, I think uh, they're taking a hit, maybe perhaps unfairly. And, and actually, I they they are an example I use in the book. I think that the, many aspects of their experience 
they, they do a great job of taking a point of difference and reflecting it in their experience, whether it's through their instructors, their leaderboard, their membership packages, et cetera. But um, I have to tell you, as somebody who hated just the idea of getting on an exercise bike, couldn't be more revolting to me to five times a week be doing Peloton is, is um, that's transformative, right? And um, I, I think, uh, again, I, I know that they've been kind of topical as of late, but and, and their IPO has been uh, under siege, but they are a brand that has, has really kind of resonated with me and, and become indispensable, at least for me. Yeah. And, you know, for me, these are all platforms for conversation, which is great. Like this, this happens all, all the time. I and mean, it happened with Pepsi not too long ago. I mean, a huge brand that's not going anywhere. People are still going to be drinking Pepsi, Yeah, but it gives people something that like now there's a platform for a conversation to happen about a topic that maybe people weren't thinking about. Like, okay, great. Let's have the conversation. Still a good brand. You know, right. still a good business. A- absolutely. And, and it does kind of, uh, it does fall under the any press is good press. I mean, unless it's really damning, which I don't think this is, right? I think people are, a lot of the argument around the Peloton brand is, does that ad actually reflect the true essence of the brand? And, and you can debate whether it does or not, or whether it's being taken out of context. But I'd be curious to know what they think of it, whether it's something that they, it, it's damaging their brand or perhaps even boosting it in some odd way. Be interesting. Yeah. Well, and I'd like to flip it on you and continue to put you on the spot here a little bit. Okay. What brands do you trust? Um, brands that I trust. I know it's hard for a marketing guy to trust any brand. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. There's a brand that um, I, I have been a fan of for a long time, and they've always done right by me. It's Tumi, and I use them across a number of different categories. I, I have luggage. I have business um, you know, accessories through them, wallets, things like that. And I've never had a problem with them. Whenever I rarely had a problem with them, whenever I have, I, the, the way that they've stood by me and always done right by me, if I've ever had a problem with them, um, I think they've kind of, they've, that's a brand I, that I respect a great deal and is in my trust. I like it. I appreciate it. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> Brands that I love and I trust? Yeah. Brands I love right now, uh, I mean, it's a personal brand. So it's kind of like, I'm all like content driven at this point. Okay. Uh, and, and listening to shows and all that, but the physical brands I trust, I mean, I've been an Apple person from day one, I have like to. obsessed with all their products, uh, and that ecosystem. And I thought, I mean, I, they just serve my needs, like every, everything I need, yeah. that they, they, they come across and deliver. Agree. And I've answered this some, a couple of times. So like I've said peanut butter before, cause I love peanut butter, but yeah, Apple is probably <laughs> one that's pretty consistent in my life. And I worked on them for a little bit. And I know okay. like I've seen behind the scenes, actually that should deter me from liking them, but I still like, I like the product <laughs> that much that it's, that I, I yeah. you know, it's a part of my life. Uh, trust for me is more about consistency and, and continuity. And that tends to me like, I, I'm a big fan of local businesses in that regard. Like my, the local restaurant down the street that I, you know, I show up and they know me and like we shake hands. It's a human element to that too. Yeah. So, Great. yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. But uh uh, pleasure talking to you today. I'm I'm thinking of like, there's also this huge discussion that I'm not going to get into about personal branding. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the the theories that you've you've applied to branding of businesses also work in the personal branding space? Are there things that need to be adapted or is it pretty close? Because it's basically, you know, like it's people instead of products, but it's branding in general. I think that the... Um and I, to be, to be perfectly honest, I've not done a lot of in the war, in the way of personal branding. My impression is that there are probably more similarities and differences. I think a lot of the concepts that we talked about could be applied, whether it is a person or a product or a service. 
you know, especially when you think about just the notion of positioning and differentiation, I think a lot of those, I mean, I think as you start getting into things that are a little bit more activation and expression and development, you know, certainly there's going to be a difference between a business and a person, but I think a lot of the principles really do apply to both. Yeah. I think what spoke to me is like either way, like I might have more nimbleness to do whatever I want with my brand and adapt and change, but I still need to figure out what sets me apart from other people. Maybe I lean more into my why than others or whatever that might be, but I still have to have those things figured out ahead of time Agree. that make me different. Like I have my personality, everyone's different, but I'm still selling something that a lot of people sell the same way. So I think it could be easier and more difficult, like (laughs) both in both ways. Yeah. Agree. But I appreciate you writing this book and putting putting this framework out there that, you know, the traditional sense of positioning and branding has been out there for a long time. So finding new ways into at least adapt and start to change a little bit, give us more options to think about how we position ourselves, how we think about differentiating ourselves from the competition. It's, it's great. So I appreciate you putting this, this work together and sharing it with us today. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, no, me too as well. And again, guys, if you haven't, gone to check it out yet and you didn't push pause to to go check it out, go to fullsurge.com when this is over and check out the book, download the two chapters. And in the show notes, you'll see the email if you want more and you want to read the full book that offers out there and it stands. So appreciate you guys for listening. And thanks again for being on the show today, Mitch. And that's it. We uh, will catch you guys next week. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to not just help you build a business, but build a brand. Head over to brandandbrands.com for more resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit brandandbrands.com.